All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek, joined by Mike and Rich after last night's Sixers loss to the Boston Celtics. How you guys doing? Good, man. Still doing how was, well. How was the drive home? It was not as bad as the last time I drove home from Boston, which was on the day after they were eliminated from the playoffs, and we had to be at the practice facility at, what, like 11 a.m.? Something absurd like that for day after interviews. I did not have, we were not rushed in that capacity. I was very happy when we saw the email last night that we did not have a, uh, we did not have a practice today, but nobody, nobody really cares about that, but it was, it was good. It was good. Happy you made it home safe and sound. The, uh, the Sixers, they were not safe and sound last night though. No, that was, that was a bad, it really did. And it, it felt like everybody realized this at the same time and tweeted about it at pretty much the exact same time. But it really did feel like Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. Like, every problem that plagued the Sixers in that series was a problem last night. And this is a team in Boston who just, it, they seem to bring out the worst in the Sixers. Like, the Sixers never, ever, ever look comfortable offensively against the Boston Celtics. And a lot of that credit goes to the Celtics and Danny Ainge for building the roster and Brad Stevens for coaching them and scheming. And I think at this point there is a little bit where they the Sixers know that they're not comfortable playing against the Celtics. It's just nothing ever seems to come easy against them. Nothing. And every every freaking time they play, the Sixers shoot 5 for 26 from 3. Every time, I'm convinced. And Marcus Smart and Aaron Baines freaking go off. And Baines doesn't even know how to position his feet. Like, his feet are backwards. And he still makes 2 out of 4. And J.J. Redick can't make a 3. I have no idea how this happens, but it happens every time. Yeah, I would love to see a game where both teams shoot at the level that we expect and see what happens yes. there. But uh but yeah, I mean it's just like I was I was just saying to Rich, like it's it's interesting how like the Sixers roster is just not built at all to combat what the Celtics have. Like even if you know, if we just look at some of their parts, like the Celtics are obviously better than the Sixers, but you add on to the fact that they're just such a tough matchup for the Sixers. Um like the the thing that stood out to me most from from last night was like how many guys on the Sixers roster can you say these two things about that they can hit a wide open three and play solid one on one defense like right now I think it's one and it's Robert Covington if you don't count Wilson Chandler because out with an injury I think the Celtics have like seven of those guys I thought it was can... going to be Embiid but for some reason he can't hit a three anymore yeah yeah but it's just. It's just like a total – the Sixers have a total lack of dynamic players. Like you, a lot of one-way players and a lot of players who on the end they contribute on aren't very dynamic. Uh, and the Celtics are just completely dynamic on both ends with almost every player. They also have a few guys who can dribble too. Uh, <laughs> that helps. And, I mean, that's like – as Brett would say, that's the uh, – that's the holy grail, you know, a guy who can defend their position, get their own shot, and then make threes off the ball, be a threat. That's uh, I'm trying to think who the Sixers have. The Sixers probably don't have anybody who fits all three of those. Nope. Um, you know, in like when you say Covington, he does not, he does not fill the dribbling quota. TJ does not really defend or shoot at that level. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty depressing. Uh. It uh, yeah, it's probably the worst matchup the Sixers could have had to start the year. I, I think you know th- there are some caveats here. The uh, like you said, Chandler was out, Mascal was out. 
I'm not grouping them into the uh, the Holy Grail category, but they would have helped, I'm sure. Uh, the China trip was pretty rough, and then yeah, and then sorting out all of the things with Fultz and everybody else playing in Boston on opening night. Yeah, that, that uh, they probably wish they had an easier opponent, and they'll play some easier opponents now. But they uh, this team, you know, I, I think Derek put it really well in his piece. They have 81 more games, as Embiid called it, Jalen Rose more games to uh, to solve everything. Just one game, that is true. But this is the team you're going to have to beat, and that was a depressing loss in that it doesn't seem like the problems that they have are going to be easily fixed. Yeah, I had I had a couple people tell me, like, hey, when they play Chicago, people are going to calm down. Well, yeah, they probably will, but the litmus test isn't whether or not they can beat the Chicago Bulls. Like, we're well beyond that stage where just winning regular season games is what defines a successful season. They'll win 50 games. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that they'll get, you know, one of the top three or four seeds in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying that at all. The only thing I'm saying, and again, it is only one game. Like you said, circumstance-wise, it wasn't the best time of the year to walk into that one. And, you know, you thought maybe with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward coming back, you could maybe sneak one out, and, and those two didn't didn't play nearly up to their standards. But there's a lot of reasons why the Sixers may not be prepared for this one as well. So it was, you know, we see a lot of weird stuff early in the season. And I think, you know, last night's other game, uh, that was another really sloppy game. And I think you see sloppy basketball at this time of year. But the reason why I'm concerned, which again, concerned in the context of it's going to be hard to get to the NBA Finals if you can't figure out this team, but it's because so many of the problems that they had in May were the exact same problems they had last night. And look, they have plenty of time to correct that. They have plenty of time to play better. They should be playing better basketball when these two teams play again on Christmas Day. But that was was just not what anybody wanted to see. Yeah, I do think, though, I mean – you just have to – you wonder then and you wonder now whether this team is just foundationally not able to get by the Celtics and not just in the sense of they don't have the same depth or the same talent, but they just don't have the type of players that you need to beat and play with the Boston Celtics. Um, and I think something a lot of people, you know, obviously the wave of negativity like on a, on a broad scale, not just last night, but like everybody saying that, you know, the Sixers are – not necessarily uh, like the Sixers are just stuck in this place that they are right now forever. I don't think that's true. Like, I think they could tinker with this roster, and if they decide in the middle of this year or next year that the current core that they have around Simmons and Embiid is not what they want, they can tinker with it. They can move it around. Like, you know, something I wondered last night is, like, if you need to – trade a guy like Dario Saric or Robert Covington, like you can do that. If you, if they ultimately decide that you can't get by the Boston Celtics with the current core, they will change almost like in the way that the Rockets have done with like engineering their roster last year to, to beat the Warriors and getting specific players that can do that. Um, I think, you know, like you said, they have time to figure this out and they have flexibility down the road to tinker with this roster. Yeah, the, the Celtics, I think the reason why I'm a little hesitant to say they can't beat the Celtics is because of Simmons and Embiid. And those two guys, to me, as good as Tatum is, as good as Kyrie can be in the playoffs. And that guy, you know, he didn't play well last night, but we have evidence of him affecting winning at the highest level. So 
you know, they're obviously very good. I just think those guys' ceilings are so high that I, I just wonder, you know, if they're firing at all cylinders, what will that do? But, I, I mean, there's no question that from an overall roster construction standpoint, Boston is so far ahead of the Sixers. Not not only are they deeper, but they're deeper with the type of players who play a playoff style. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, we, we can – I don't want to get too deep into this, but the, the Sixers are going to have to be better at the margins. It's going to have to be more than than Simmons and Embiid. Um, what? Uh, I, I guess I'll kick this off. What? Uh, what do we make of Fultz last night? Um, I mean, pretty much every fear that you would have had coming into the series was realized last night. It is still very much. One game, but we're now going on three games where he just and forget about the form because he like the one he, he took what maybe two pull up jumpers. I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game. I quite literally got back into my house about twenty minutes before we started recording this. So that's dedication. You know, I, people. I, have it, <laughs> I have another rewatch or two before I fully digested that game. But of the two or so pull up jumpers, you know we're talking like fourteen, fifteen feet. We're not talking long. Form wise, they didn't look like a breakdown. But the complete unwillingness to even contemplate shooting from the perimeter, you're now going, we really only have the Orlando game to go to as something to reassure us. And that is far and away the biggest takeaway. You know, he's passing up shots. He's running into guys off the ball. He's he's running wildly into the lane. He's not finishing at all. Like, his finishing at the rim has been atrocious in the preseason and last night. It is, I mean, he is right now not an effective NBA player. And that doesn't mean he won't be an effective player in five games or ten games or twenty games. But last night he was not an effective NBA player, and he hasn't really shown us a whole lot from preseason outside of that Orlando game to now. I think, you know, outside of the takeaway of not shooting, my biggest concern, he he was never like a Dennis Smith-level athlete. That was never his game. That was never his athletic profile. But he was, I think, a better athlete than he's shown right now. He doesn't seem to quite have the same burst he had. He doesn't seem to quite have the same elevation he had and I wonder if that's just getting back into basketball shape I wonder if that's just getting back into live speed and live game action I wonder if maybe I'm just being fooled because defenders are playing so far off him because of that jump shot that it just looks like he doesn't have that kind of burst and that kind of speed but he right now he just he in so many different ways and I will never no matter what happens with this Mark Fultz situation I will never know how to learn from this as a scouting exercise outside of just the appropriate level of respect for uncertainty and shit can go wrong. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just, I, I, it's, it's as, as Mike said, it's not the same. And I, I that's, <laughs> that's all I can say right now. It's, it's a, it's the weirdest scouting situation I've been involved with. I was wondering last night, uh, like I thought about this. It's like a, the first guy that made me realize it is justice Winslow, because I remember watching justice Winslow at Duke and I'm like, that guy's 6'5", maybe 6'6", six, six. like he's big, could defend fours, and he gets to an NBA court, and you're like, holy shit, he's shorter than I thought. Like, he's 6'4", maybe. Uh, I kind of feel like I've been noticing the same thing with Fultz. Like, in college, you felt like he was a good 6'4", and he was listed 6'5", and now I just, he doesn't look physically superior to, like, Kyrie when he, stand, when he stands next to Kyrie. They look like they're almost about the same size, and Kyrie's listed, I think, 6'3". Um, so I don't know that that's a concern for sure. And athletically I've shared that, that same sentiment, but 
you know, it's just you have to remember that his entire game was predicated upon torching drop coverages against big men. Like when Aaron Baines gives him three feet of space, like he has to rise up and take that pull up. And if he's, you know, hugging him, you have to hit him with a hesitation and go by him. And right now that threat of the jump shot is just not there. And every single shot feels so premeditated. Like he's had to think about it as he's going up into it, even if the form looks pretty good. Um, like I think the the one jump shot that he hit last night, the form, like if you saw that uh, 15 months ago, you wouldn't think twice about it. It actually looked pretty decent, but yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's some inconsistency there and there's obviously the willingness issue that he was not very good with last night. I, I would also add, you know, the willingness is certainly the biggest takeaway. Totally agree with what you said about the uh, the jumper he took looked pretty good. It's from the free throw line. Um, it's not, it, it wasn't even the will, it, the willingness to shoot jumpers was part of it. There was a play when I forget who pushed to him in transition. It might've been TJ. Gordon Hayward was the person standing in between him and the rim. And Gordon Hayward, like running at a full sprint, trying to get back. And instead, Markel, instead of trying to attack the rim, like, try to like shovel a pass kind of underneath and it got stolen. And like, I, I was sitting there watching that on TV and I was like, man, try and go through Gordon Hayward, dude. Like even on the, uh, the great pass that Simmons threw him, it's like, go dunk that, like go stronger than that. And it's, uh, his finishing is certainly a concern. I think, uh, Brett Brown probably got a little too much crap on Twitter last night. For the role, I, I do understand that playing him three minutes in the second half was rough. In the first half, he hits that uh, that pick-and-roll jumper. He calls pick-and-roll the next play. And I think he put him in like four or five. This is the guy who has this whole motion offense set up, doesn't like running a ton of pick-and-rolls. Like, he gave him four or five opportunities to just run high pick-and-roll with Embiid. He was putting him in a situation to flourish, and then... You know, on some of those instances, like, you'd see him kind of snake his way around the screen, and he'd have space to pull one in Baines' face, and he just doesn't take it. So, you know, yeah, I, I agree. That's the biggest takeaway from the night. He, you know, from a dribbling standpoint, it looks like he can still get to his spots, but he's not even looking at the rim in some of these instances. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a part of me that wonders, like, you know, they want to see Simmons and folds together. They want to grow Simmons together. And it's like, well, can you really grow the pairing when they're playing like this? And the answer is, is clearly no. Like, you need to get Markel back, and then you can worry about growing Markel and Simmons together. But then there's another part of me that's like, well, look, even when they put him in a spot to succeed, he's not really he, – he, he's not being aggressive enough to warrant that. And uh, it's – you know, I to me, I kind of wonder whether or not you go back on that starting lineup change, put him almost solely as a backup point guard – or just sprinkle in minutes with the two of them. But I think right now it just in, until he gets that mindset where he's going to attack, it's it's I'm not sure how much of a difference it's gonna make. I'm not sure what the best way to get that mindset back is. It's 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 so it's so weird, it's so disheartening. That one Orlando game when he looked like he was confident and he was taking those shots, it was you know, a huge sigh of relief for everyone involved, I'm sure, from coaching staff and the front office to Markel to fans who, quite frankly, us, because I'm sick of talking about this, and I, I, I want the kid to succeed. 
But right now, I just I have no expectations, good or bad, for what the next 25 games will be. I don't know, even if I see a good game from him tomorrow night, I don't know whether or not that's going to carry over. He better have a good it's, game tomorrow night. That's going to be the worst defensive team he's going to play all year. <laughs> that that it will. But it's 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 just it's it's I've never been as you know. A lot of people will be like, well, you know, why aren't you, you know, I'm, I had to close my mentions today. It was a fucking shit show. But a lot of people will be like, well, why, why aren't you calling Markel for what he is? And it's because I don't know. Like, if this was, you know, you remember us. And, look, we made a mistake. We had Okafor too high on the, on, on the draft rankings. But we called that pretty quickly. There was, like, you got through preseason. You went, yeah, and you were kind of, like, pulling your neck collar, and you didn't know. <laughs> you got to, like, the first week in the season, and you just went, yo, dude, this isn't going to work out. Like, he's not he's not the NBA player we thought he had the potential to be. I can't make that same determination with, with Markel Fultz, even if he's not, you know, playing like he's, like, a high draft pick, you would hope, just because there's so many extenuating circumstances. I Like, a, a switch could flip, and he could be good to go. I, I truthfully have no idea. I've never dealt with this. I probably will never deal with this again. It's um, hope for the best. That's all I got. That's really all I got. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. you play them off the ball, it's oh, it's tough. Like, how about that one lineup they had where I think they were spacing. They had TJ and Ben in the, at the same time, along with and, Markel. You can't have Markel. three non-shooters. And that was the play where Rozier totally disregarded Markel and ate MB shot. <laughs> uh, and look, that'll, that'll hopefully get a little better when you get a little more depth, but. Yeah, that's that's the problem that these guys are facing. Uh, it's uh, it's not great. Yeah, I mean, as I said on the preview pod that we did, like, I think we might all be guilty of assuming that this is the final version of him in one way or another, and or specifically of his jump shot. And you can't discount the possibility that he gets better throughout the season, um, like playing against teams like the Magic and the Bulls and just getting reps and getting makes under his belt obviously will help his willingness. Um, and the fact that they're somewhat committing to starting him uh, hopefully guarantees he'll get enough minutes to do that. So I don't know. Like like you said, Derek, it's just complete uncertainty going forward. But uh, last night was not encouraging. And can I just say, we got a lot of shit last year when he came back and we were still talking about it and we were trying to ask him about it. And you can you can argue maybe his first game back wasn't the right time, but people you know fans were like, well, no, fans don't care anymore. He's back. That's the story. Fans don't care anymore. Well, the reason you care is so you can diagnose where he's going to go from there and whether or not you can see a recurrence of the lack of confidence and whether or not you can reasonably reasonably project the kind of progress that you hope that he will make. And until you know what the full story of what happened in the first place, we're flying blind here. So when we ask Markel, you know, what happened, you know, when did you notice the shoulder injury, what happened in the rehab, the reason isn't to kill the kid. The reason is to get for more information for the progress going forward and to try to determine what the likelihood of, you know, what the return to play program, to steal Brian Colangelo phrase, will look like and to set expectations. And we're, we're all just sort of flying blind right now. It's, it's really – and like it's, it's frustrating for all involved, and I'm sure mostly for Markel. Like I'm sure he's struggling with this the most. Um, I've never in the slightest bit questioned his work ethic or his desire. Whatever's go- whatever's happening, whatever he's going through, it's extremely tough. Like I said, I'm sure for him most of all. But r- right now, I mean, it's that starting lineup is taking a step backwards for sure. And like I said, if if 
it's one thing to grow Markel and Simmons together, and I agree they need to do that when Markel's ready to play that kind of minutes. Um, and I'm I'm not a hundred percent. I I don't even want to say. I don't know. I truthfully don't know. But last night was not last last night was not the opponent you wanted to start with. But it was certainly not a good expectation or a good a good start, a good first sign. The uh, the Celtics were feeling themselves last night too. You had uh, Jalen Brown celebrating, and then Tatum. Uh, both celebrating shot. Both celebrating lucky yeah. shots that MB the, defended well. The stadium well. The erupted when Tatum made that shot. Like they erupted. Like, oh, did you see what he did? And they're ooh and ah. It's like he banked it from straight away, buddy. He got really lucky. And it like was, luck happens. Both teams get lucky, but don't act like that was a great play. Stop it. It was also I, I could see kind of behind the basket. Celtics owner Wick Grossback, he was woofing in Embiid's face too. I think he on on Covington's uh Covington's air ball on the first play, he held it up in like a mocking tone too. He caught it. Uh they were talking a ton of shit. And I'll say this, they can talk a lot of shit. Embiid's right. Yeah, they're good. That is that is not a rivalry. They totally own the Sixers. But I do think if the scales turn for even one regular season game, Embiid is going to be must-see TV <laughs> because that is not the person you want to get into a, an argument with. And for them to do that in the first game of the season was kind of interesting to me. The uh, No, but the Sixers are 2-8 and eight against them in the, the last year plus, so Embiid better start winning if he wants to talk any trash. I, I just think for one game he could he could do something pretty bad. And to be, you know, the guy who he shouldn't talk crap to at all? Baines? Yeah. Baines, like... Bodies him up, man. He's tough as hell. Horford, too. How many times did Horford block him last night? Seriously, those, those are the two last guys. It's funny. The guys who, who weren't talking any shit to him were the guys who were actually blocking his shot and, and well, defending him well. Well, if Al Horford talk shit, like, I would lose my mind. I would lose – that would be the greatest thing ever, but it, he'd never do it. He'd never do it. So they talked all training camp about this this switching defense against – Five out lineups, and the key, you know, the crux to what they were saying was we're going to keep Joel close to the basket. And then last night they get the five out lineup that they're going to play against during, uh, you know, during the playoffs if they get there, and that's you know that's basically who they're preparing for. And Embiid is guarding Jason Tatum man to man. What uh, what did you guys think about that? Yeah, so Brett, after the game, he said that that was the result of switches. And like I said, I didn't get a chance to really rewatch this yet. But it seemed like that was the design coverage for a lot of those plays. It was. Yeah, I I think it was. Um... So the only thing I can think of is they trust Dario to defend Horford more than they trust him to defend Tatum. Because, you know, Boston went small now that they got Kyrie and they got um, Hayward back. So I think they trust Embiid to defend Tatum more than they trust Dario to. And if Embiid's going to be out at the perimeter anyway because it's a five out, they I, I think they just flat out, like I said, trust Embiid to defend Tatum more than Dario. And I'd love to follow up on Brett about this, and we certainly will when they come up to the Christmas Day rematch. But that's the only thing I can think of. And like I said, if they assume that Horford's going to be at the three-point line anyway, then it's not like your take – but. That's a that's a tough ask for Joel. That's a tough ask. I gotta relook. I, I gotta look would... at my notes. I think Simmons was the one guarding Horford. Oh, was he? Okay. Um, I think I would trust Joel guarding Tatum more so than Dario. 
Like, I, I think Joel actually forced him into a lot of contested jump shots last night. And Amir Johnson did, too. Like, what the hell? I, I don't understand Jason. Like, obviously, Jason Tatum is great. But, like, he has Embiid and Amir Johnson guarding him and settles for contested long twos. Like, how the hell is he sustaining this? It's unbelievable. Yeah, but. I mean, that was that was the that was the criticism of him in high school. That was the criticism of him at times at Duke. But here he is shooting. Yeah, here he is shooting like hell in the NBA. So, um, but yeah, this, the whole the whole like new scheme. I'm still. I rewatched the game this morning, and I'm still trying to piece it together because there were so many times where they didn't execute it, um, and they were like. Four or five different cases where, like, Embiid and Simmons or Embiid and Covington uh, would get lost. Like, one of them would be expecting a switch, and the other would be staying with their man. Um, Like, one of them happened on a Jason Tatum dunk where Embiid and Simmons just completely miscommunicated, and neither of them were sure what was the right thing to do. And I'm like, what what is even the, the factor that's determining whether or not you switch? Like, most of the game, it seemed like they were just switching one through five automatically, but there were like four or five times where they hesitated. One guy seemed pretty sure that they weren't supposed to switch. So I have no clue. I have no clue what the scheme is yet. Simmons, that would be my biggest critique of him. His uh, his switching off the ball is pretty lazy sometimes. And I, I don't want to say, you know, it's it's not always his fault because like Mike said, sometimes it calls for a switch, but he uh, – I don't know what their rules are at times, like you said. I They were switching 1-5 to five for a lot of the game. But then when uh, when Baines came in, they kind of played more conservative. Yeah, they, and that's when the, the mid-range jumpers kind of kind of started to happen. I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a pretty big train wreck. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, coming away from that game, the defensive side of the ball was much less my concern. Because they just they don't they 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 can never get comfortable offensively. But there were certainly ample amount of miscues. I do think that is a team. You know, I'm I'm glad that we're not the podcast who hitched our wagon to Al Horford being overrated because that guy is freaking fantastic in today's NBA. And the fact that he can credibly shoot from the perimeter, make the passes and the reads that he does, while also bodying up and bead the way that he does, and, and playing him one on one, and being able to, you know, like I said, credibly do that. It's a it's a great luxury to have, and that's a that's a team that's that's going to be tough to defend. I mean, they have a lot of guys who can create their own shots. They can really space the floor. They can really move the ball. Um, they're not going to be you know their their bread and butter is still going to be their defense. And at times last year, they didn't have the offensive firepower that you expected of them to be great. But I do think they're getting better as Brown and Tatum mature, and as Hayward and Kyrie. Come back to form. Yeah, and I'll tell you the other thing about Horford is he's probably going to age really well. Like he's, yeah. he already has. Yeah, he you already, would expect exactly. him to start declining already. And I could see three years from now, like I could still see him bodying up Joel. Um, but who knows? How do they fix these uh, these entry pass problems? Well, I mean, they uh, get have a guys that can shoot, learn how to shoot, throw throw them. <laughs> that's that's a problem. Embiid's turnovers last night, by the way. I, Oh, they were I maddening. Think, there were some maddening. people were like, "These are a product of, uh, you know, bad post reads." Now these were just brain farts for the most part. Yeah, just like, just like stupid passes thrown at guys' feet. He uh, he got mad at Simmons for a cut on one of those where like Simmons wasn't even close to it, even if he kept cutting. Like he, uh, 
he made some stupid plays. I, I do agree. Like Mike said, I was really impressed with how he moved his feet. And, you know, I, I don't think it's the best version of him, obviously, because you want him around the rim. But he he did a nice job forcing some tough shots. But offensive, offensively, no, when, he was a mess. When people are like, well, how can you keep Joel Embiid in during a five-out? You know, how how can you keep Joel Embiid on the floor? I always think that's a wrong question to ask. Like, Joel Embiid's not out of, like, he doesn't look like a fish out of water defending out there on the perimeter like that. Like, you're not going to be like, oh, Joel Embiid can't stick with Al Horford on the perimeter. It's much more that you don't want Joel Embiid to be stuck with Al Horford on the perimeter. Like, the loss, the, the impact of a five-out on Joel isn't that he's going to give up open shots. It's that you're taking away his value at the rim. So it's never like he has to come out of a game. Like, there are big men where, you know, a lineup like that, you have to take, they get run off the floor. Joel's not going to get run off the floor. He's just not going to get the. He's not going to make the defensive impact that you come to rely on him too, because he's now out of position. Yeah. All right. Do we have any any more on that frustrating frustrating game? It's it, we Simmons was great. Like we should we should you, you know I I know some people on Twitter took you know exception to that, but Simmons was he was he was great last night. Like that was at least something. Would have been nice if we made his free throws, but other than that, he was he was good. <laughs> I think yeah, at, I thought it was great. Out of the hot takes, the uh, he is he hasn't improved his free throws on a sample size of eleven. That that <laughs> right. was the one that bothered me the most. It's like if you want to say like, oh, they're not going to be able to beat the Celtics. Well, they they might not be able to. But like saying he hasn't improved his free throws. Come on, let's let's wait for more than eleven free throws to happen. And he, he like he seeked out contact. That that to me is much more important than whether he goes. You know, six for eleven, or whether he goes seven for eleven. Like I don't, I don't really give a shit about that. But he, he, there were a couple of possessions where he was like, "Fuck it, I'm putting my head down. I'm getting the free throw line." He didn't always do that last year, and that was nice to see. Two finishes with his left hand too. Yeah, yep, yep. I noticed that too. That was that was good. That was good. Uh, the, that handle is just crazy. Oh. That's my biggest takeaway still. Like I, I'm just blown away by how well he handles the ball at six ten. It is insane. Like, I think you could legitimately put him in the top 12 ball handlers in the entire league, like, irrespective of height. Like, his ball security and creativity is just unbelievable. The pass he threw to Fultz was one of the nastiest passes you'll see all year. Yeah. I, how the hell and did he see that? And that dump off to Embiid, too. That dump off to Embiid was incredible. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, he's He's great. He's, I I will say the one thing is though when he misses a shot in transition or all of them they were pretty screwed last night. Yeah, yeah. He his 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 shot his mid range shot his turnaround out of the post just it it infuriates me like it his footwork is just a disaster. He can't shoot without drifting left to right like it's just it. Uh, there's still a lot of work that that needs to happen there, um, but that is, you know, he 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 played well. He played very well, and he was he was the two of them, Simmons and Covington, were great defensively. Uh, when this when when they got back into the game, it was largely because of forcing turnovers and getting out on the break. Um, because in the half court, they were pretty screwed, but they uh, they looked good. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of that, I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I thought Red, I, dude, mute button. Come I on, try, man. I tried to. <laughs> I thought uh, <laughs> I thought Reddick did a good job of getting open. Didn't make any of the shots, but No, he didn't make any of the shots. It was encouraging was to see him getting to see. open. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest takeaways from the night. 
or from the rewatch, I should say, is like I was like, holy shit, Reddick was open on every shot. Like they got him some great looks. He just couldn't make them. And, and on a few of those, he was shedding Jalen Brown, which was impressive. But on a couple of those, I saw, oh, when they play these lineups, when he's the smallest guy on the floor and Kyrie Irving is playing against him, that's something that you know that, that might be one glimmer of hope when you get to the playoffs is that you attack at and. uh Kyrie, I, I'll be interested to see their playoffs. I thought it was, from their uh, perspective, very interesting that Terry Rozier closed that game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's that's a much easier decision to make that offense for defense trade-off from Kyrie to Rozier when Kyrie's not making a fucking thing. So it was easier to make that trade-off then than it would be in the playoffs. But, yeah, no, that was – I mean, they've got so much depth that you're going to have – you know, I think I think Stevens probably has a lot more leeway to go to his bench when his starters aren't getting it done to close out a game than most other coaches. The question is whether or not they respond to it. But yeah. that is a high class problem to have. Kyrie's defense was terrible, like yeah. awful on so many occasions. I, you know what? That's the that's the biggest thing if you're a Sixers fan to to think like. You know, if there's any way that Sixers can overcome them, it's like, what do the Celtics do? How do they pay all these guys? Which I realize sounds ridiculous to say, like, oh, how, sure. how can you pay all your good players? Like, I know it's a good problem to have. But if you're paying Kyrie $40 million and they say, you know, the, the I think Woj said something to the effect that they expect to reach a deal with Rozier this summer, then, you're like, you're paying Marcus Smart $10 million. Like, where did Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum come in? And then you have to reassign well, Horford. And, like. and Horford, like you said, if he's going to play another three years, like, he's making, what, 30 mil? Like, mm-hmm. he's making a lot of money, too. Yeah, one of them is going to have to go. <laughs> Between the starters the starters and Rozier, like, one of them at least has to go. So, there, so there's your hope, everybody. They're not going to be able to pay get too all of their good <laughs> players. <laughs> But they'll probably they'll be able to have five all stars. They'll probably be able to pay a lot of them, though. Yeah, we, we can hold on to that until um, Sharich and Simmons and Fultz come up for new contracts, and then 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 the Sixers will be the ones having to make decisions. But we have years until we get to that point. Let's let's, let's see what Fultz says before we have to worry about that. But all right, sounds good. Thank you guys for jumping on. Don't want to do this one too long. It's only one game. We just did a podcast like a couple days ago. Uh, But thank you for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon.